Takwaye now presents Finale Part 2 from the Carabao Trilogy by Stephanie Garber. Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we are finishing up the third book in the Caraval Trilogy by Stephanie Garber. Uh, the last book was called Finale. Very fitting. Appropriately named, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oof, okay. There was a lot going on in the second half of Finale. What do you think of how it all came together? So... I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I think I like how it all came together, but I didn't get enough backstory for some stuff that I was hoping for. So while I think things concluded nicely in a lot of ways, I feel like there were opportunities that were missed to kind of uh, flush out some characters more by giving their backstory. Does that make sense? Yes. And I'm disappointed because once again, I did not get to research pirates because we did not get Dante and, Le- Dante and Julian's backstory where pirates were involved yeah that's one example and i think even though we got more of the mother's romance with Mm -hmm. the fallen star or whatever i feel like that still we still didn't understand i didn't understand the mother well enough still i had a lot of questions and how she kind of came to be with the other dad and dante and julian's backstory and that was like a huge hole for me a huge gaping hole yeah especially because we got pieces of it just enough yeah. to make it like, okay, there's definitely a story there. What is it? <laughs> where, where, where? How did he meet the witch? Like, Well, and I thought when we saw the mural that we would get more of it. Because, me too. Um, so yeah, there's this scene where Tella walks in to Dante's room for the first time and he's asleep and she notices he has this painting on the bedroom wall that's like his whole life. It's this mural that like depicts his whole life and we know that his he has all these like tattoos that are linked to important events and I don't know. So I just, I feel like there were all these nods too to the who he was before and how he came to be and what made him this way and you know his brother even talking about how he used to love him but he can't anymore and all this Mm -hmm. like there were all these hints to it we just never I never got that satisfaction um so question I felt the Mm -hmm. same way and I was curious if maybe we think there's gonna be a new sequel series um based in this world and in which we maybe will get some more of their backstory and the only reason I thought that was because I thought it was very interesting whenever Julian and Tella go to the Vanished Market and she sees those twins and like one is old and one is young and they're mm-hmm. the ones who give her the treasure chest and um, inside has the secret that will help her defeat the Fallen Star. But do you remember what she exchanges for it? I forgot until you just mentioned it but yeah this her daughter's a secret of her daughter yeah right? she was like your daughter will be born with a very powerful gift but the daughter will have one fatal weakness and so she wants Tella to discover her future daughter's secret weakness and then return to the market and tell the twins and then the whole mm-hmm. thing is if she fails to discover her daughter's secret weakness by her 17th birthday the cost will be her life so now I'm like what like this is a very big task for Tella to accomplish (laughs) well and it's interesting given her relationship with her mother and stuff if there was a sequel that piece alone would be like a good story but then you add in maybe we would get more of these backstories Mm -hmm. with these other characters and kind of flesh out these relationships so I wasn't necessarily thinking about it before but I like where your head's at I totally forgot while I was reading that I was like this is a huge thing and then I kind of forgot about it with everything else going on in the book which is bad, no I mean but... it, it was it was like big but it wasn't um it wasn't really talked about all that much I mean it, it just happened so fast you know well yeah and we never got an answer for why her mother did switch the daughter's right stuff, you know what I mean and like it it brought up all these questions I had and it, I felt like it was a I, I get why Tella made the deal still but it seemed given her experience and what happened with her mom that that was like it was a really really big ask and it implied it like we were like who is the dad gonna be right and it and it made her understand where her mom 
you know, why her mom maybe made that decision. Yeah, because she was like, this is really important. But we still don't know. But we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I need that book. What's the book that they call? The Ren- the Renaissance? Oh, yeah. The, um... Not that I have anyone's blood, but I just need everyone's life story quickly so I can find out who secretly married who and <laughs> right. whatever else happened. <laughs> oh, my God. What's it called again? The Rassini or something like that? The, Rus- the Russia. The Russia. That was weird, too, though, whenever um, she reads it. She, like, is curious about it, so she just, like, uses her blood to be like, hey, all right, tell me my life story. And that's when the book tells her first of all i loved whenever it tells just like weird parts of her past where it's like tell us spends a week pretending to be a mermaid (laughs) like yeah that was fun that was great and then um that's the one where we learned that she marries the prince of hearts and she's like what i didn't do that i'm not gonna do that (laughs) and she's like freaking out yeah um that part was a little weird too like the whole he created like an immortal bond with her when he took away her pain well again that was like it kind of worked but it also felt a little bit shallow because i like that it tied back to this thing because i do, i kind of agree when the ceremony first happened she was just like repeating like i felt like there was more going on than we realized but then mm-hmm. it also a felt resolved really quickly and b so quickly like didn't come into play like i felt like it should have affected things with legend or should have like, we should have understood more about these connections that immortals have. It should have played into something bigger, or it should have been harder to resolve, or it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> yeah, he just, like, gives her a knife, and he's like, all right, well, all you have to do is stab me, and it'll break the connection. It was just yeah. like, okay, why even include it if it's just going to resolve yeah. so quickly? Yeah, I agree. That was interesting. And I still, Jax would be another character that I'd be a little bit, I, I'd like to know more about the fates than we did too i feel like there were so many fate mm-hmm. players and there were hints at all these kind of interesting you know politics and relationships and alliances and whatnot going on but we didn't really get a lot of backstory truly like even um the prisoner we don't really know i don't i just felt like they all had more to say because they've been playing with each other whatever yeah. interacting and competing and challenging each other for so long and for the most part we didn't see that resolve or get much of a backstory yeah especially since like you said they have such interesting um histories and like i love that we learned that the fates kind of actually want to be freed from the fallen star because he's you know controlling them in a certain way and like when we meet maiden death she was the one who was like yeah um it gavriel was the one who imprisoned Mm -hmm. my head in this cage of pearls and i can't take it off until he dies and that was kind of interesting the fact that like a lot of the fates want to become mortal just because it'll free them from Gavriel and like some of them want to have the chance to die. Yeah, okay. So that reminds me of our debate last week where someone wanted to choose immortality over true love. That was me. That was you. Um, so I did find an article this week. This isn't really my research. It's just some fodder for our discussion about okay. five reasons immortality would be worse than death. <gasps> okay. Okay, so here's the first one, which I thought was very clever, actually. Mm-hmm. Evolution will turn you into a freak, Marissa. <laughs> but so, evolution happens so slowly, by the time I change, I won't think I'm a freak. No, but that's the thing. So right now, it wouldn't be a big deal in the next thousand years or whatever. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But if you're truly immortal a million years from now, you're going to be like some really outdated version of a human while all the humans have evolved and surpassed you. And you're just like... Oh. Mm-hmm. So that means I also can't change. Like, being immortal means I can't change. Well, if, if we're assuming that immortality just basically means that you live forever and don't die, like your genetic makeup stays the same. And don't get born again, yeah. Um, so, like, okay. you basically be, like, the caveman equivalent to future generations at some point. Oh, man, you're so right. Yeah, I, that was one I did not think about. People are going to be born with, like, eyeballs in their hands or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But maybe... I'm trying to think if that could be good in any way. No, I would be an outcast. I mean, it could be good in a way if we, depending on how we evolve, I guess. But you'd still True. be, it would still be isolating at a minimum. Yes, it would And would isolated. it really be good if you were, like, advanced from every other human on Earth? No. They would use me as a weapon. Like, even if, even if you were not left behind, it would be lame if you were the only one who could read books or something. Right. <laughs> um, okay, then the next one... That they said, 
was just that you wouldn't want anyone to find out because then like no one will leave you alone you'll probably get a reality tv show out of it but everyone will want to like know Mm -hmm. your secret and you'll just like never get a moment to yourself again which yeah that's true it's i mean that's true but also like you could not tell people probably and keep that hidden so i'm not that's not the best you would just have to move around a lot though right because like yeah people eventually will notice you're not aging well and i guess that depends a little bit on what that means but yeah are you not aging and what age are you when you're not aging like if you're if you're 12 and you're ageless then you do have to move like every three years if you're like mid-30s and you're ageless you could like pass that off for like 20 years yeah totally but just attribute it to very good skincare. Okay, the next reason is you're still getting older mentally. So they're saying even mm-hmm. if whatever keeps you immortal keeps your brain physically active, like you don't get Alzheimer's or something, um, just the fact that you have so many memories is going to like clog things up and make it confusing. So part of the reason why, like what part of what happens when you get older is your brain and its ability to store and recall memories only has so much space kind of thing. So you can only keep so many memories. So as time Mm -hmm. goes on and you have more and more memories and more names and dates and phone numbers and whatnot, it, it's like harder to keep it all organized. So the longer, the more stuff you have there, the slower your brain will be basically. Okay. I believe that. And then the second one is time will speed up until you're insane. So, um, so this is again, I think we've talked about this on our podcast before a little bit, how like, when you're younger, you know, waiting for summer feels like it takes forever. And when you're older, like the years go faster and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. but I guess there's some, I don't know if this is actually science or just an example. So when you're hundred years old, a minute will seem six seconds longer compared to a minute when you were 10. And if you live for a thousand years, that would mean that if you were married to a woman for her entire adult life, so like a 50 year marriage, that significance over a thousand years would be like for us someone that you dated for a few years back in college and if you live for a hundred thousand years that person would basically be the equivalent of this is a quote some nameless chick you made out with at a weezer concert (laughs) think about that though like if you live to be a million there'd just be like so many people that you would have met and all this stuff that it would be like like you wouldn't even be related to like what's happening in the day-to-day world yeah i mean you'd be on like such a different time that makes sense because I read a lot of books about vampires and that's like something they always talk about. Like they have to take yeah. timeouts almost where they like, I just read Anne Rice's books where they have to like go to ground, so to speak, for like 300 years just to like give themselves a break. Yeah. So And a thousand years can pass in like the blink of an eye. I mean, it is crazy to think about all that stuff. So basically... So basically it would suck is what you're saying. There's a lot of reasons why true love is worth it anyways, but also immortality is not all it's cracked up to be. And you could get trapped somewhere forever because people may assume that you didn't get out or like if you get, what if you like drown and you're stuck under something and you're just underwater forever and no one ever comes to find you or like an earthquake happens. Or I know like that. that freaks me out or you get like dismembered and you spend the rest of your life like looking for your head. Yeah. And again, <laughs> Chances are pretty slim, probably in a normal lifespan. But if you live forever, chances probably increase that something like that is going to happen to you at some point. I bet you would just get so bored. Like eventually you'd have to get so bored with everything. Like nothing would be exciting anymore. Especially if you can't die. I feel like part of the like thrill of doing things is the fear involved with like something going wrong or, you know, because we have a limited amount of time, it helps us experience things. So it's not just that you could actually do everything and then you get bored because you've done it all, but it's also like even doing it the first time wouldn't have the same excitement level. Yeah. You'd be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I've got time. (laughs) So. Okay. You've convinced me. So basically I think legend made the right choice. Yes. Okay. That (laughs) was... I, I agree with you, especially since now, didn't it say, oh no, the fates are now ageless. So the fates can live a long time, but they're technically mortal. So do we think that's the same thing with uh, Dante? Is he ageless? That's what I was a little bit confused about, because then, as we already said, that's kind of what we would ideally want anyways, right? To be ageless? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm not 100% sure how that magic stuff worked, but either he's ageless or at least he's mortal and he won't get crushed under a rock or out evolutionized yeah that's the proper term (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was just confused about that because i was like all right well 
now are you alive but just gonna live like a very long time and like Tella's not gonna do that you know she's gonna live a regular life so how's that gonna work yeah and I guess I'm not sure how some of the magic in this book wasn't fully explained so I sort of feel like we killed off some magic so where did it go you know like this like idea of in a lot of books where there's like some mm-hmm. kind of conservation of magic or energy or whatever and I'm like cool with it not residing in these people but I sort of feel I guess um the fallen star went into the knife or whatever mm-hmm. the blade his magic did but like what happened to all the other what happened to the immortalness of everyone else that's a really good question and also like my question too was remember when they said that the faded objects were once fates who loved and became mortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was confused about that because um, I think it's Gabriel who says it. He's like, if you leave with that boy, you'll share the same fate as Queen Azan who turned into that gown mm-hmm. and Reverie who became the key in your hand. So all of these faded objects were fates who fell in love with humans and let themselves become mortal and die. But since magic can't die... Um, when their bodies perished, their magic was transferred into objects. So, like, is that what's going to happen to Dante? Like, why didn't Dante turn into a key or a dress? <laughs> or maybe that's what happens when he does die. I don't know. I agree. There's just some... And that's another piece of the, like, legend... Or the... Not legend, legend, but the myth. Uh, or the, yeah. Or the part of this magical world that there was... A lot of interesting opportunity to expand on it and we didn't get it so I, I wanted to like know all the stories of all the objects and even just like short stories would be fine yeah yeah like a book about how to use your deck of destiny card or totally something like a funny yeah um I also had a really big problem with the final plan to defeat the fallen star I just thought there were so many other like we had a bunch of ways that people thought we might be able to defeat him right so it was like We'll look at the Russia, the the book, or, you know, we can... Like, there were just other options. And the one they picked was Scarlet was like, okay, I'm going to go back in time and observe my mother and steal a dress so I can pretend to be her and convince Gabriel that I am her. And I was like, that is the stupidest plan I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, I know they talked about how Scarlet resembled her mother, but, like, he... Gabriel knew both of them. Like, did they really think that he wouldn't recognize her just because she was wearing a dress and, like, imitated her mannerisms? Like, that was such a... Well, especially with how quickly it happened. Like, it wasn't like this was a plan they worked on for months to, like, really imitate her mannerisms. It was like, I spent three minutes with her and... Like, why didn't they just go back in time and bring back Paradise? Like, that's what I thought they were going to do. I thought they were going to use the assassin to, like, go back and change their mother's fate. It was just, like... This I like I'm really good at suspending my disbelief, but I couldn't go that far because it was just such a stupid plan. Well, and I I always get a little bit. I think playing with time can be really interesting, but really messy, right? And mm-hmm. they kind of alluded to the fact that the assassin said a couple of things. You know, like he's gone mad, and if anything gets messed up, we might not come back. And I've seen different time things play out, and this is the only one where it works. But it also seemed like his power. It seemed like too easy. Like yes. he. He was like, oh, yeah, we have to do this because I've seen other timelines play out and this is the best option. It's like, why do we even trust you? Who are you? Like, Mm -hmm. you know. Who are you? Get out of here. Yeah. And, like, even if they had couched it in a different way, like, if they had said, it's too risky to go back in time and bring back paradise, so let me go back and get something of hers and try and help Gavriel remember her. Because that's essentially what happens. Like, he's obviously not an idiot, so, like, he realizes after a while that Scarlet's not Paradise, but yeah. she, like, re- is able to make him remember how much she loved her, and that's, like, when he becomes mortal for a second and Tella stabs him. And so I was just like, if you had couched it like that, I could have believed it, but the whole thing that you actually thought you'd be able to impersonate your mother and trick this very smart fate, like, I, that, they, no one should have agreed to that plan because it's so absurd. Yeah, no, I agree. There were a lot of, like, little... Again, there's a lot of interesting stuff, but in some ways it just felt rushed at the end. And then too yeah. easy. Yeah, uh, I agree. And even like Tella and Jack's agreement, I kind of liked 
it that she sort of knew what she was giving up and like she was so obsessed with him, but he didn't even help her do her part of the deal of remembering to stab. So it was the idea that she saw she loved Scarlet so much that she was able to come back to herself a little bit to remember to stab the fallen star. Because I sort of was like, she is out for the count. She is not going to be able to <laughs> even do the one thing that she gave up everything to do. Yeah, I, I think I think that was the plan. But, like, yeah, and then the whole thing where, like, Dante's love breaks Jax's spell, I was like, oh, my God, come on. Yeah, I wanted it to be – I wanted him to break her the spell, obviously, but it just felt almost too easy. And Jax kind of just let it happen. Yeah. After everything he went through, I feel like – I don't know. Someone should have at least thrown a punch or something. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, because I was worried when he was like, you have to let me control your emotions, and that's the only way you'll get close to him. And then, like, once this is over, your emotions will belong to me forever. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, this could be big. And then it just wasn't. It was nothing. Yeah. It was just kind of a funny scene or two. Yeah. And then, yeah. So I docked the book some stars for that reason. Because it it just, it it came together far too quickly. And there was stuff that I thought was going to be exciting and going to be meaningful. And then it was just resolved within, like, a page or two or like seconds and it like things that I thought were going to be a big deal were not a big deal it was like Jon Snow realizing he's Targaryen didn't matter at all see I don't read or watch Game of Thrones but but yeah it's exactly like that uh no no I agree but I will say because I feel like sometimes when we start talking about what we don't like I, we forget to talk about what we do like because usually we're picking up a few things True. that we don't like I, I enjoyed the world that I was introduced to I think anytime that my disappointment is like I wanted more backstory or wanted more from these characters in this world I think that's actually like a really good thing about the writing style and stuff so Mm -hmm. I would definitely read things based in this world again but even other things by Stephanie Garber I think I liked it enough to say I'd explore more of her writing and stuff I agree with you especially because um, although some p- things about the book were frustrating, I think in general, mm-hmm. all three books were really entertaining and they were just super fun. You know, like there were all these little Easter eggs and like a really clever idea at the heart of it that turned into something even better, which I mm-hmm. think is sometimes rare for sequels. Like Caraval was super ex- interesting and exciting and the author found a way to keep that idea running mm-hmm. for two more books which I think is really impressive. And she like added enough that made it different and exciting to keep reading. Like I never felt like the series Mm -hmm. got tedious or that I was bored with it, which I mean, honestly, like that happens in a lot of series we read, especially trilogies. There's usually a part where I'm just like, I'm kind of over this right now. And she kept us interested the entire time. So like, I think that's a really hard thing to do. And I think she did it pretty well. And I like that it there was, like, the romance in it, no doubt. There was a lot of romance stuff going on. But the, like, heart of the series, the love story there was between two sisters, which I just loved. And mm-hmm. I thought they were both yeah. um, unique. But I liked that relationship a lot. I agree. And, and, you know, there were some love triangles, but they weren't tired, tropey love triangles. You know, it was, like, Jax and Tella and Legend and then Scarlet and Julian and Nicholas. Um... But I didn't find them tedious at all. I thought they were all, like, pretty exciting, especially since the characters themselves were so different and, like, everyone had really yep. different motivations. So I like how she handled that. Yeah, and it wasn't like, even though they were, like, debating, you know, which guy to go with, or, like, you know, Jax or Legend or whatever, <laughs> but for the most part you kind of knew what was going to happen. So it didn't really feel like a true triangle. Mm-hmm. It felt like there were barriers and other things to consider, but it didn't feel like, I don't know, some of those you know love story triangle things are like so back and forth and And it's almost like how how can you really feel that strongly about both of those people at the same time who you just met yeah exactly (laughs) i agree and also just like her the fact that she came up with so many cool like the faded objects and the Mm -hmm. faded places and like all of these fates have such interesting backstories and even like um priestess priestess who when she asks a question you can't lie to her like or you or you'll die um and then the lady prisoner i love how she's not allowed to lie Mm -hmm. and so when she makes the threat like she was like do this or or i'll stab scarlet Mm -hmm. and she she was like just so you know like i I will have to stab you (laughs) 
Yeah. I can't make false threats. Um, so I, I love all the, like, she really went very, very deep to create all these different fates and give them really unique backstories. And, like, they were all so fascinating. I loved that. Mm-hmm. And again, it just left me like, I just want to know more about it. And all the little details, you know, we saw the map. I think I was talking about that last week. Oh, the map of all? The map at the beginning, how we were wondering about all the funny things that were in the beginning of the book. And we found out that, yeah, they were called out in the map of all or whatever. And just, there was a lot of fun details and like some of the writing was just like almost lyrical, Mm -hmm. magical kind of, I, I just, it was unique and I enjoyed it. And while there were things I would add or have questions about overall I thought it was a good good reading experience I 100% agree um should should we give it a rating since we're here oh yeah how many decks of destiny cards would you get (laughs) out of how many how many are there (laughs) yeah oh yeah how many fates are there um 16 immortals eight places and eight objects for 32 cards total oh goodness but should we just do the 16 immortals? So out of 16 okay. yeah. fate people? Um, I would give it 13. I would give it probably, yeah, 13 or 14. I might do it at 14. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. And again, I'd be open to reading another series, especially one based in this world, but in general. Because also even things like Paradise and the Empress, were they really related? And like, I wanted to hear more of that backstory. Mm-hmm. And some, Like there were so many cool things that were alluded to, but we didn't quite get enough of in my opinion which was kind of fun but yeah as a reader I really wanted to know at the end of the series all my answers and like I mean not that we need to see Scarlet becoming Empress but I love that she ended up being Empress at the end like and now Tella and Julian are probably or Tella and Legend are probably going to go on another adventure like yeah that also set it up kind of for a sequel a little mm-hmm. bit um you know what I didn't do what I didn't think of a fan name did you? Oh, I totally forgot that we do that. <laughs> um, what do they call the the temple of? What do they call the people oh, who are at the uh, temple that worships the fates or whatever? Fallen stars. <laughs> I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. What about the the? Okay. So we have the faded objects, the faded places, and the fates. What if we're the faded fans? The faded fans. I was going to say that. Yes. I love that. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Done. Ooh, that was stressful. I know. I know. I was like, oh, crap. We totally forgot to do that. Again, we took that month off, and it's just yeah. like, I've forgotten some of the things that were kind of part of our routine a little bit. So. It's hard The to other thing, back. we always do the, um, what would you turn into a movie if you could pick a scene? Ooh. Um... That's such a good question. There's a lot of cool stuff in this one. So many cool things. Um, Especially seeing, I'd like to see probably something with the different objects. Like, I, I don't think there's a, usually I pick like some kind of big relationship thing or especially when there's magic, but I think I'd want to see either like going to the vanishing market and seeing all the mm-hmm. things they're selling or I don't know what else would be a good one. I really liked the scene whenever Scarlet is trying to convince Gabriel to, to give a vial of, of his blood and she's like talking to the lady mm-hmm. prisoner and she's just like perched in her little cage like swinging I just thought that whole scene it, oh and like when um when Gabriel tries to get Scarlet to control that woman's emotions yeah and she's acting along and mm-hmm. she's acting along yeah um I think something like that that was the witch right that's what I thought I thought that was Esmeralda okay um Something like that or, like, some kind of power play between Gabriel and, like, one of the daughters I'd like to see. It would be cool to see how Scarlet perceives the colors and emotions, to see that done on film well. Um, Another thing, this isn't really, like, but just the fates are so interesting to me. And that scene right after, like, the coronation, or I don't even know if it was a coronation, whenever the fallen star, like, announces that he's the emperor and his daughter is also the granddaughter of the empress and blah 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 and they have the Mm -hmm. party and the fates are like messing with everyone and everyone's terrified and they're just like having fun and doing these horrible things to people but i think it still could be kind of a cool scene to see play out like the over the top splendor and like the even though it's evil magic but the magic at play and stuff like that oh yeah like when nicholas's household members were turned into marionettes Mm -hmm. 
And then, like, that one family was turned to stone, like, frozen over their dinner. Yeah, and at that party, the poisoner was doing that. He was passing out goblets and freezing people, or, sculpt, you know, turning people into sculptures, or, um, the who was it who was the Joker guy who was making the marionettes of people? Oh, Jester Mad. Yeah. So, that could be kind of cool, too. Yes, totally. Or any of the dreams that Tella has. Oh, yeah, yeah, could yeah. Could be fun. Except the one that didn't feel like a dream until the very end, and it was very confusing. Yeah, and that was a whole other thing, like, being able to enter her dreams. I don't know. I mean, it was a cool part of it, but nothing really came of it, so. Yeah. I don't know. It was just, like, something else that kind of didn't really go anywhere. Well, even, yeah, because there was all this stuff, like, he, she learned how to keep people out of her dreams, and there was someone trying to get it. Was it just Jax? Yeah. And the dresses. I love the way she describes all the dresses. I want to see all the outfits, basically, in this whole book series. They got really elaborate, like when they were made of like butterflies and like petals and yeah, seeing her whole wardrobe would be pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. Even if I don't see the movie, if I just see the uh, costume room, I'd be happy. Yeah, totally. Okay. So what did you research this week? Okay. I'm so nervous that we've talked about something related, but hopefully we have Okay. So I was kind of on this whole immortal mortal thing after our conversation last week like how do you become immortal and of the people who are immortal who's still around kind of thing so I looked up ways to become immortal and people who are allegedly immortal and probably still roaming the earth somewhere (laughs) if legend is to be believed or not again I say legend like with a lowercase l and I keep forgetting that he's a character in this this book so um do you want to hear about some people who are supposedly are immortal and if that's true they must still be out there somewhere yes okay oh is elvis one of them (laughs) Um, i don't think elvis is on this list but that would be funny is he supposed to be immortal or is he just supposed to be not really dead or an alien that just went home (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't really know enough about him so one is the flamels i think we've talked about them before they were the nicholas and Perennial Flamel were a husband and wife alchemist in the 14th century who supposedly discovered the Philosopher's Stone mm-hmm. and thus immortality because that's what the Philosopher's Stone is about. And so if they really did that, they should be still out there in the world somewhere. Okay. Um, then there's the Count of St. Germain. So this was an 18th century European aristoc- aristocrat who... During the Age of Enlightenment, he was, like, highly educated and super wealthy, and when asked and pressed, he claimed he was 500 years old. Mm. And so a bunch of people tried to, like, discredit this or, like, challenge him, and he just, like, knew so many things and, like, was an expert at so many things that they couldn't, like, actively discredit it. So even though a lot of people didn't buy it, there are some people who believe that he is an immortal who continues to live to this day somewhere out there. That's cool. And then this is a story I hadn't heard about, but apparently is relatively common. Have you heard about the Wandering Jew? No. So during the 13th century, there was this legend that began to rise throughout Europe about this man who taunted Jesus when he was carrying the cross. And oh, okay. um, different stories say it was a shoemaker or he was a doorman for Pontius Pilate or a couple of other things. Um but he, I guess, was, like, cursed, basically, to wait around until the second coming of Christ because of his Whoa. taunting, which is not biblic- biblically based at all. But it's, um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, Jesus was walking to his crucifixion, and this guy just was, like, telling him to hurry up and, like, kicking his shoes and stuff. And he, Jesus supposedly responded by telling him that even though he was leaving, the Jewish men would have to stay until he returned, which... Actually, if you think about it, didn't he rise from the dead three days later? So wouldn't that be his return? But yeah, so let's (laughs) take that with a grain of salt. And so, but this guy, so this is what um, he supposedly he eventually converted to Christianity and was baptized, but the curse still applied. And so he wasn't allowed to sit or rest at any time, except he at Christmas he gets to relax a little bit. But every other day, because he was telling him to hurry up, he has to keep like walking around and every 100 years he would get incurably sick and go into a fit for an indeterminate amount of time after which he would return to the age of 30 so this is how he keeps living and i just thought like all this detail was so funny and interesting i had never heard of this wandering jew theory before Ugh, it sounds like something just some idiot made up 
to like just try and vilify Jewish people. Yeah. Also, I don't know if does Jesus seem like the type of person to like curse no, you this has... when he's walking to his death to like save all mankind in his mind. <laughs> the things we actually know from the Bible stories, this is not in line with the Jesus character that yeah that we know <laughs> it came up in like the 13th century i don't know where it originated from and it's just there's all these different versions of it I've never um, heard that. and so then i also i was reading about some other what are some different ways that you can become immortal so one of them was taunting jesus oh. is if if you're to believe this story <laughs> miss that boat but then so and some of these we might have talked about a little bit for other things but so in japanese mythology there's a mermaid creature named ningyo who is supposed to be a cross between a monkey and a carp. So it's not really a mermaid like you might think of it. but um, And it's kind of like bad luck. So it, if it washed up on shore, it was supposed to be a omen of war, and it's supposed to bring stormy weather and all this kind of stuff. But um, one particular myth says that this girl's father accidentally brought her Ningyo meat and she ate it and was cursed with immortality mm. and after years of sadness mm. due to outliving all of her husbands and children she devoted her life to Buddha and became a nun and because hmm. of her holiness she was allowed to die at the age of 800 800 <gasps> but was she ageless as well or was she like a rotting that's so hard so that, <laughs> that was what was interesting about this wandering Jew they like went to the trouble of saying Every 100 years, he would, like, wake up again at age 30, so he, like, aged to 100 over and over again. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these don't specify what immortality, like, the ins and outs of what that means. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of Greek myths involving mortals being punished for all of eternity. So if you anger a Greek god, they may punish you for eternity and you won't die because you'll just have to keep doing it over and over again oh like pushing the boulder up the hill exactly yep pushing the boulder up the hill and every day it rolls back down oh yeah and then the guy whose liver gets eaten every day Mm -hmm. although he was a god but yes that same idea Mm -hmm. i have a question for you yep um okay how old would you have to be before you would actually literally start wondering if you were mortal that's a really like good truly. question. I think you've asked me this before, but I, well, I think it would depend on how close I had come to other stuff. I mean, I think I would have to be really old to really start to wonder or have enough close calls where I'm like, I should have died. You know, like if I, if I survived like a bunch of freak accidents, yeah. I'd start considering that like by the third one or. <laughs> or if like I was still going strong at like 130, 130, I'd probably be like, yeah, I'm going to live forever. I think that'd be my magic number. Yeah. Yeah. I think if I was still like pretty healthy at 100, I'd be like, this seems interesting. (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I mean, because I think maybe we talked about this with um, Victor and the the vicious trillet. Oh, yes. That's what we talked about. But yeah, it's like, because do you want to test it? Like how certain? No. (laughs) What would you, you know? And and when would it bother me? It would probably bother me after like. When I had no friends left my age, or oh, like, yeah, like I think outliving people is when it would be great to live long. Not, although it would really suck to outlive people in general, but it would be great to just have a lot of time to do stuff. Totally. But if everyone died, I would. I don't like making new friends that much. You know. <laughs> you just need to get all the friends that you like the best and make them all immortal with you. Yeah, we all need to go f- eat one of these mermaids or whatever. Okay. <laughs> Done. Mission. Uh, haven't we been looking for a quest? <laughs> yes! Okay, should we try and become immortal? That should be our quest? I don't know. Only if we do it together. <laughs> that means we have to look for the... We have to find Nicholas Fomel and get the Philosopher's Stone. Or we just become alchemists ourselves and create one. Yeah, and at least they were... Because it wasn't husband and wife who both did mm-hmm. it together. At least they're together. Yeah. So. Could be worse. They must really like each other. Let's hope they really like each other. Or, or they did at one point. I don't know if they still do. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that was most of my research, or at least the most interesting part of my research. What about you? Would you? So I um, was upset that I couldn't research pirates. So in... Did you do it anyways? No, <laughs> I didn't. Instead, um, I my research is based off of the fact that Paradise the Lost was rumored to be like the best thief in the world. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of like the most audacious thieves or like thieves that got away with 
stuff they really shouldn't have been able to get away with. So I researched um, the most fascinating, audacious thieves throughout history. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah, some of them are really interesting. Okay, so the first one I'm going to talk about is Vincenzo Perugia. He was an Italian thief who, in 1911, stole one of the most famous paintings in the world. Can you guess what it is? Mona Lisa? Yeah. Really? Yes, he stole the Mona Lisa. Oh, man. So he was a former worker at the Louvre, and the day before his theft, he hid in the museum, and... He knew, because he was a worker, he knew that, um, he picked a day when he knew the museum would be closed the following day, so he'd have, like, plenty of time and not many people around. No one would notice, yeah. Right. So, the next morning, he, so he hid overnight in the museum. The next morning, he, um, came out of his hiding place, and he was wearing a uniform that was worn by all the Louvre workers, so he fit right in, and he took the Mona Lisa off the wall. This is in 1911, so there's not, there wasn't, like, super Computers that, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he took it into an enclosed stairwell and then took the painting out of its frame and hid the canvas under his uniform. But the problem was um, he was only 5'3", and he was having trouble hiding it, so he (laughs) had to, like, abandon that plan, and he just, like, wrapped it up and... I think he like the Mona Lisa. I feel like it's small. Is it just seems small I think because it's, it's small too, right? Yeah. That, they said like he had to abandon that plan. So um, he I mean, like I guess if you're five three, then your torso is even smaller, right? So yeah. yeah, that's true. So he just like carried it under his arm and then tried to leave the museum and then panicked because the door wouldn't open. The door was locked, but. Luckily, oh, no. a plumber was walking by at that moment, and he helped Perugia open the door. So he unlocked the door for him and let him leave with the painting under oh, his arm. Man. So he hid the painting in his apartment in Paris. Um, police arrived to search his apartment, but he said that he had been working in a different location the day of the theft. Um, he kept the painting in a trunk for two years. Oh, my goodness. So why did he steal it? Well, okay, so he, um, he, he claims that he wanted to return the painting back to its um, rightful country, so he took it back to Florence, where Leonardo da Vinci is from, mm-hmm. and, but then he got stupid, and he contacted an art gallery um, and asked for a reward to be like, hey, I'm going to return this stolen painting, but that didn't work, and so the police came and they arrested him. And it was returned to the Louvre in 1913. Man, oh man. Crazy. So really, these are like the best thieves who got caught. Yeah, I guess they're not so great if they got caught, but still, like... But he didn't get caught for a year. Right. Like, he he accomplished... It's not... He didn't get catch thieving. He got caught unloading his prize. Right. So, yeah. Um, There was also a woman named Sanka, the Golden Hand. She was a Russian thief from the 19th century um and she stole mainly jewels and (laughs) i think this is so interesting um some of her methods for stealing jewels were um she would grow out her fingernails really really long and hide precious jewels inside them like up underneath her fingernails what (laughs) and then she also had this is crazy she also had a monkey a small monkey who she trained to swallow gems while she distracted the owner of the jewelry store. Okay, I just watched Aladdin this weekend. Oh, is it that, good? That, I believe. <laughs> I want to see it so badly. I liked it. But, you know, Abu is a good Yeah, I think he'd be able to do that. <laughs> oh, okay, you'll like this one. So, Stephen Bloomberg, his, like, mo or fetish or whatever was he likes to steal rare books from universities and museums oh man my hero i know so he stole a combined total of 5.3 million dollars worth of rare books and he was known as the book bandit i love it i know and it was in 1990 when he did most of his uh thieving and he's regarded as the most successful book thief in history and that is so cool. His, his what did he do with them? Well, he said that oh, yeah. he stole books because he believed the government was plotting to um, 
you know, keep ordinary citizens from having access to rare books and unique materials. So his whole thing was like steal from the, not steal from the rich. It was it was steal from the yeah. government, give to the masses, steal from the literate, <laughs> right? No. Um, so he said that it never once crossed his mind to sell these items because he thought that was dishonest. He just wanted to collect books and like eventually return them to their owners. Um, he was found guilty and imprisoned for four and a half years. After he was released, he went back to stealing and collecting books. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Does uh, he do podcast interviews? Is he still alive I today? know. Like, <laughs> I just think that's so funny. That is so funny. Okay, the last one is um, the 40 Elephants Gang. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. So... <laughs> Um, Their other name is the 40 Thieves. So they are a British gang of ladies that formed in the 18th century. Between the 1870s and the 1950s, they carried out the largest British shoplifting operation. Wow. It's not bad that I'm like, go girls. (laughs) I know. Well, I mean, it's insane, like, the things they did. So they... They, um, what they do is they would dress in tailored clothes that was, like, tripped out with, like, hidden pockets and, like, hidden hemlines. So they would go into, um, department stores. And back then, I guess, you know, they really made, um, the most of the attitudes of that time. So, like, if you were a well-to-do female customer, like, you were granted privacy when you shopped. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of, like, based on that mentality, like like the Lizzie Borden mentality, like there's no way a woman could commit a crime like that. Like people just didn't think that women were capable or, you know, had that had that in them. Or why would they or how? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, it, it was born from people just like underestimating women and they were like, we are going to use this. So they would go to department stores and they would hide um, merchandise inside their coats, inside their muffs. Um, they'd put them in, down their bloomers, under their hats. Um, they stole thousands of dollars worth of goods, and they actually earned enough money to financially support their male their male spouses. So they became like sugar mamas, kind of, <laughs> where like they were these like very wealthy women because they stole so much, and they had like kept men <laughs> live with them. I love this. What year did you say this was again? Like between 1800s? between the eighteen seventies and the nineteen fifties. That is um, awesome. Yeah, and they were described as handsome women about six feet tall. (laughs) Wow. And um, they also used fake references to get employment at rich households where they would pose as, like, ladies' maids, and they would rob the house, and they would, like, steal all the family's possessions. And they were finally disbanded in the 1850s. Their gang leader was Alice Diamond, and she was known as the Queen of the Forty Thieves. I love it. So, like, their leaders were called queens. I just thought that was, like, super fascinating. No, I would, like, read a book about that in a heartbeat. Yeah, totally. They should make a movie out of that. Yeah. So those are my most famous thieves throughout history. I like it. Mm-hmm. Paradise would have been shown all right up there. She would have been yeah. the empress of the 40 thieves or totally. something. Totally. <laughs> cool. Anything else we usually say at the end of a book, or do we jump into our next book next i think we jump into our next one i'm really excited about the next one i am too and i i feel mostly good there are things i would have wanted but i feel mostly sad like i feel okay leaving this world behind so yeah yeah let's see what's next okay so next we are going to read mask of shadows by Lindsay miller so this is a duology the first book is called mask of shadows the second book is called ruin of stars and I'm excited about this book because it is the first book, first series we've read that features a gender-fluid character. It's, I think it's one of the first books I've ever read that features a gender-fluid character. Well, Marie, one of Marie Lu books had a gender-fluid character, Warcraft. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Minor, minor Right, character. and so this character is a main character, which I'm excited about. Okay, so I'm going to read the inside cover. Uh, okay, Salat Leon is a thief, and a good one at that. But gender-fluid Sal wants nothing more than to escape the drudgery of life as a highway robber and get closer to the upper class and the nobles who destroyed their home. 
When Sal steals a flyer for an audition to become a member of the Left Hand, the Queen's personal assassins, named after the ring she wears, Sal jumps at the chance to infiltrate the court and get revenge. But the audition is a fight to the death filled with clever circus acrobats, lethal apothecaries, and vicious ex-soldiers. A childhood as a common criminal hardly prepared Sal for the trials. And as Sal succeeds in the competition and wins the heart of Elise, an intriguing scribe at court, they start to dream of a new life and a different future, but one that Sal can have only if they survive. Awesome. I'm excited. And we are going to read up to chapter 25. Great. For next week. I like duologies too. I know we've said this a few times, but... They are my favorite. I haven't heard a ton about this book. Have you seen it on lists or something? Or do you... How did we... I've seen it on lists, um, and I remember it got a lot of hype on um, Instagram. Okay. The second one came out last summer, right? Yeah, it's relatively new. Cool. Do you want to hear a joke? I would love to. Okay, I have a magic joke, and then one that just made me laugh really hard. Okay. Okay, what do you call a magic owl? Ooh. Oh my god, you're so close. Eh, that's all I got. What do you call it? Houdini. <laughs> Houdini. <laughs> I like it. Okay, this other one's really funny. My wife is really mad at the fact that I have no sense of direction, so I packed up my stuff and write. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That is so that dumb. just made me I laugh because I have a terrible sense of direction. <laughs> my sister has a terrible sense of direction. She can't tell her right from her left. Like, yeah. That's totally me. Like, navigating, when I have to navigate, when Chad's driving, it's, like, a true test of our relationship, because I I just fail at it all the time. James is the worst <laughs> navigator, too, but not because he can't tell us right from his left, but, yeah. It's just... Anyways, if you want to share your thoughts on the Carval series at all, feel free to reach out to us at mnktalkya at gmail.com, or find us on Instagram or Facebook at mnktalkya. And start to read Mask of Shadows. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.